be sure to follow Send Me to Sleep on your preferred podcast player so you never miss an episode and a good night's rest. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Good evening. In this episode, I'll be reading Hamlet and Cymbeline from William Shakespeare's and E. Nesbitt's Beautiful Stories from Shakespeare So let your eyes fall heavy and your breath soften as we settle in for a peaceful night's sleep. Story 1 Hamlet Hamlet was the only son of the king of Denmark. He loved his father and mother dearly, and was happy in the love of a sweet lady named Ophelia. Her father, Polonius, was the king of Chamberlain. While Hamlet was away studying at Wittenberg, his father died. Young Hamlet hastened home in great grief to hear that a serpent had stung the king and that he was dead. The young prince had loved his father so tenderly that you may judge what he felt when he found that the queen before yet the king had been laid in the ground a month, had determined to marry again, and to marry the dead king's brother. Hamlet refused to put off mourning for the wedding. It is not only the black I wear on my body, he said, that proves my loss. I wear mourning in my heart for my dead father. His son at least remembers him and grieves still. Then said Claudius the king's brother, This grief is unreasonable. Of course you must sorrow at the loss of your father, but... Ah, said Hamlet... Bitterly, I cannot in one little month forget those I love. With that, the Queen and Claudius left him to make merry over their wedding, forgetting the poor good king who had been so kind to them both. And Hamlet, left alone, began to wonder and to question as to what 
he ought to do, for he could not believe the story about the snake bite. It seemed to him all too plain that the wicked Claudius had killed the king so as to get the crown and marry the queen. Yet he had no proof and could not accuse Claudius. And while he was thus thinking came Horatio, a fellow student of his from Wittenberg. What brought you here? asked Hamlet when he had greeted his friend kindly. I came, my lord, to see your father's funeral. I think it was to see my mother's wedding, said Hamlet bitterly. My father, we shall not look upon his like again. My lord, answered Horatio, I think I saw him yesternight. Then, while Hamlet listened in surprise, Horatio told how he, with two gentlemen of the guard, had seen the king's ghosts on the battlements. Hamlet went that night, and true enough, at midnight, the ghost of the king, in the armour he had been wont to wear, appeared on the battlements in the chilling moonlight. Hamlet was a brave youth. Instead of running away from the ghost, he spoke to it, and when it beckoned him, he followed it to a quiet place, and there the ghost told him that what he had suspected was true. The wicked Claudius had indeed killed his good brother, the king, by dropping poison into his ear as he slept in the orchard in the afternoon. And you, said the ghost, must avenge this cruel murder on my wicked brother, but do nothing against the queen, for I have loved her, and she is your mother, remember me. Then, seeing the morning approach, the ghost vanished. Now, said Hamlet, there is nothing left but revenge. Remember thee, I will remember nothing else. Books, pleasures, youth, let it all go, and your commands alone live on in my brain. So when his friends came back, he made them swear to keep the secret of the ghost, and then went in from the battlements, now grey with mingled dawn and moonlight, to think how he might best avenge his murdered father. 
The shock of seeing and hearing his father's ghost made him feel almost mad, and the fear that his uncle might notice that he was not himself, he determined to hide his mad longings for revenge under a pretended madness in other matters, and when he met Ophelia, who loved him, and to whom he had given gifts and letters and many loving words, he behaved so wildly to her that she could not but think him mad, for she loved him so that she could not believe he would be as cruel as this, unless he were quite mad. So she told her father, and showed him a pretty letter from Hamlet, and in the letter was much folly, and this pretty verse. Doubt that the stars are fire, doubt that the sun doth move, doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt I love. And from that time everyone believed that the cause of Hamlet's supposed madness was love. Poor Hamlet was very unhappy. He longed to obey his father's ghost, and yet he was too gentle and kindly to wish to kill another man even his father's murderer, and sometimes he wondered whether, after all, the ghost spoke truly. Just at this time some actors came to the court, and Hamlet ordered them to perform a certain play before the king and queen. Now, This play was the story of a man who had been murdered in his garden by a near relation, who afterwards married the dead man's wife. You may imagine the feelings of the wicked king as he sat on his throne, with the queen beside him and all his court around, and saw on the stage the very wickedness that he had himself done, and when, in the play, the wicked relation poured poison into the ear of the sleeping man, the wicked Claudius suddenly rose and staggered from the room, the queen and others following. Then said Hamlet to his friends, Now I am sure the ghost spoke true, for if Claudius had not done this murder, he could not have been so distressed to see it in a play. Now the queen sent for Hamlet, by the king's desire, 
to scold him for his conduct during the play and for other matters, and Claudius, wishing to know exactly what happened, told old Polonius to hide himself behind the hangings in the queen's room, and as they talked, the queen got frightened at Hamlet's rough, strange words, and cried for help, and Polonius behind the curtain cried out too. Hamlet, thinking it was the king who was hidden there, thrust with his sword at the hangings, and killed, not the king, but poor old Polonius. So now Hamlet had offended his uncle and his mother, and by bad hap killed his true love's father. Oh, what a rash and bloody deed it is, cried the queen, and Hamlet answered bitterly, almost as bad as to kill a king and marry his brother. Then Hamlet told the queen plainly all his thoughts, and how he knew of the murder, and begged her at least to have no more friendship or kindness of the base Claudius, who had killed the good king. And as they spoke, the king's ghost again appeared before Hamlet, but the queen could not see it. So when the ghost had gone, they parted. When the queen told Claudius what had passed, and how Polonius was dead, he said, This shows plainly that Hamlet is mad, and since he has killed the Chancellor, it is for his own safety that we must carry out our plan and send him away to England. So Hamlet was sent under charge of two courtiers who served the king, and these bore letters to the English court, requiring that Hamlet should be put to death. But Hamlet had the good sense to get at these letters, and put in others instead, with the names of the two courtiers who were so ready to betray him. Then as the vessel went to England, Hamlet escaped on board a pirate ship, and the two wicked courtiers left him to his fate, and went on to meet theirs. Hamlet hurried home, but in the meantime a dreadful thing had happened. Poor, pretty Ophelia, having lost her lover and her father, lost her wits too, and went in sad madness about the court, 
with straws and weeds and flowers in her hair, singing strange scraps of songs and talking poor, foolish, pretty talk with no heart of meaning to it. And one day, coming to a stream where willows grew, she tried to bang a flowerly garland on a willow and fell into the water with all her flowers and so died. And Hamlet had loved her, though his plan of seeming madness had made him hide it. And when he came back, he found the king and queen and the court weeping at the funeral of his dear love and lady. Ophelia's brother, Laertes, had also come to court to ask justice for the death of his father, old Polonius, and now, wild with grief, he leapt into his sister's grave to clasp her in his arms once more. I loved her more than forty thousand brothers, cried Hamlet, and leapt into the grave after him, and they fought till they were parted. Afterwards Hamlet begged Laertes to forgive him. I could not bear, he said, that any, even a brother, should seem to love her more than I. But the wicked Claudius would not let them be friends. He told Laertes how Hamlet had killed old Polonius, and between them they made a plot to slay Hamlet by treachery. Laertes challenged him to a fencing match, and all the court were present. Hamlet had the blunt foil always used in fencing, but Laertes had prepared for himself a sword, sharp and tipped with poison, and the wicked king had made ready a bowl of poisoned wine which he meant to give to poor Hamlet when he should grow warm with the sword play and should call for drink. So Laertes and Hamlet fought, and Laertes, after some fencing, gave Hamlet a sharp sword thrust. Hamlet, angry at this treachery, for they had been fencing, not as men fight, but as they play, closed with Laertes in a struggle. Both dropped their swords, and when they picked them up again, Hamlet, without noticing it, had exchanged his own blunt sword for Laertes's sharp and poisoned one, and with one thrust of it he pierced Laertes, who fell dead by his own treachery. 
At this moment the queen cried out, The drink, the drink, oh my dear Hamlet, I am poisoned. She had drunk of the poisoned bowl the king had prepared for Hamlet, and the king saw the queen, whom, wicked as he was, he really loved, fall dead by his means. Then Ophelia being dead, and Polonius, and the queen, and Laertes, and the two courtiers who had been sent to England, Hamlet at last found courage to do the ghost's bidding, and avenge his father's murder, which, if he had braced up his heart to do long before, All these lives had been spared, and none had suffered but the wicked king, who well deserved to die. Hamlet, his heart at last being great enough to do the deed he ought, turned the poisoned sword on the false king. Then, Venom, do thy work he cried, and the king died. So Hamlet in the end kept the promise he had made his father, and all being accomplished, he himself died, and those who stood by saw him die, with prayers and tears, for his friends and his people loved him with their whole hearts. Thus ends the tragic tale of Hamlet, Prince of Denmark. Story 2 Cymbeline Cymbeline was the king of Britain. He had three children, The two sons were stolen away from him when they were quite little children, and he was left with only one daughter, Imogen. The king married a second time, and brought up Leonidas, the son of a dear friend, as Imogen's playfellow and when Leonidas was old enough, Imogen secretly married him. This made the king and queen very angry, and the king, to punish Leonidas, banished him from Britain. Poor Imogen was nearly heartbroken at parting from Leonidas, and he was not less unhappy. For they were not only lovers and husband and wife, but they had been friends and comrades since they were quite little. With many tears and kisses they said goodbye. They promised never to forget each other, and that they would never care for anyone else 
as long as they lived. This diamond was my mother's love, said Imogen. Take it, my heart, and keep it as long as you love me. Sweetest, fairest, answered Leonidas, wear this bracelet for my sake. Ah, cried Imogen, weeping, when shall we meet again? And while they were still in each other's arms, the king came in, and Leonidas had to leave without more farewell. When he was come to Rome, where he had gone to stay with an old friend of his father's, he spent his days in thinking of his dear Imogen, and his nights in dreaming of her. One day at a feast, some Italian and French noblemen were talking of their sweethearts, and swearing that they were the most faithful and honourable and beautiful ladies in the world, and a Frenchman reminded Leonardus how he had said many times that his wife Imogen was more fair, wise, and constant than any of the ladies in France. I say so still, said Leonidas. She is not so good but that she would deceive, said Lecimo, one of the Italian nobles. She never would deceive, said Leonidas. I wager said Lucimo, that if I go to Britain, I can persuade your wife to do whatever I wish, even if it should be against your wishes. That you will never do, said Leonidas. I wager this ring upon my finger, which was the very ring Imogen had given him at parting that my wife will keep all of her vows to me, and that you will never persuade her to do otherwise. So Lachimo wagered half his estate against the ring on Leonidas's finger, and started forthwith for Britain, with a letter of introduction to Leonidas's wife, When he reached there, he was received with all kindness, but he was still determined to win his wager. He told Imogen that her husband thought no more of her, and went on telling many cruel lies about him. Imogen listened at first, but presently perceived what a wicked person Lachimo was, and ordered him to leave her. Then he said, Pardon me, fair lady, all that I have said is untrue. 
I only told you this to see whether you would believe me, or whether you were as much to be trusted as your husband thinks. Will you forgive me? I forgive you freely, said Imogen. Then went on Luchimo. Perhaps you will prove it by taking charge of a trunk containing a number of jewels which your husband and I and some other gentlemen have bought as a present for the Emperor of Rome. I will indeed, said Imogen, do anything for my husband and a friend of my husband's. Have the jewels sent into my room, and I will take care of them. It is only for one night, said Luchimo, for I leave Britain again tomorrow. So the trunk was carried into Imogen's room, and that night she went to bed and to sleep. When she was fast asleep, the lid of the trunk opened and a man got out. It was Lachimo. The story about the jewels was as untrue as the rest of the things he said. He had only wished to get into her room to win his wicked wager. He looked about him and noticed the furniture and crept to the side of the bed where Imogen was asleep and took from her arms the gold bracelet which had been the parting gift of her husband. Then he crept back to the trunk and next morning sailed for Rome. When he met Leonidas, he said, I have been to Britain, and I have won the wager for your wife no longer thinks about you. She stayed talking with me all one night in her room, which is hung with tapestry and has a carved chimney piece and silver adirons in the shape of two winking cupids. I do not believe she has forgotten me. I do not believe she stayed talking with you in her room. You have heard her room described by the servants. Ah, said Lachimo, but she gave me this bracelet. She took it from her arm. I see her yet. Her pretty action did outsell her gift, and yet enriched it to me. She gave it me, and said she prized it once. Take the ring, cried Leonidas. You have won, and you might have won my life as well, for I care nothing for it now I know my lady has forgotten me. And mad with anger, he wrote letters to Britain to his old servant, Pisanio, 
ordering him to take Imogen to Milford Haven and to murder her because she had forgotten him and given away his gift. At the same time he wrote to Imogen herself, telling her to go with Pisania, his old servant, to Milford Haven, and that he, her husband, would be there to meet her. Now when Pisanio got this letter, he was too good to carry out its orders, and too wise to let them alone altogether. So he gave Imogen the letter from her husband, and started with her for Milford Haven. Before he left, the wicked queen gave him a drink, she said, would be useful in sickness. She hoped he would give it to Imogen, and that Imogen would die, and the wicked queen's son could be king. For the queen thought this drink was a poison, but really and truly it was only a sleeping draught. When Pisanio and Imogen came near to Milford Haven, he told her what was really in the letter he had from her husband. I must go to Rome and see him myself, said Imogen, and then Pisanio helped her to dress in boys' clothes and sent her on her way, and went back to the court Before he went, he gave her the drink he had from the queen. Imogen went on, getting more and more tired, and at last came to a cave. Someone seemed to live there, but no one was in just then. So she went in and as if she was almost dying of hunger, she took some food she saw there, and had just done so, when an old man and two boys came into the cave. She was very much frightened when she saw them, for she thought that they would be angry with her for taking their food, though she had meant to leave money for it on the table. But to her surprise, they welcomed her kindly. She looked very pretty in her boy's clothes, and her face was good, as well as pretty. You shall be our brother, said both the boys, and so she stayed with them and help them to cook the food and make things comfortable. But one day when the old man, whose name was Bellarius, was out hunting with the two boys, Imogen felt ill and thought she would try the medicine Pisanio had given her. So she took it and at once became like a dead creature, 
so that when Valerius and the boys came back from hunting, they thought she was dead, and with many tears and funeral songs, they carried her away and laid her in the wood, covered with flowers. They sang sweet songs to her, and strewed flowers on her, pale primroses, and the azure harebell, and eglatine, and furred moss, and went away sorrowful. No sooner had they gone than Imogen awoke, and not knowing how she came there, nor where she was, went wandering through the wood. Now while Imogen had been living in the cave, the Romans had decided to attack Britain, and their army had come over, and with them Leonidas, who had grown sorry for his wickedness against Imogen, so had come back, not to fight with the Romans against Britain, but with the Britons against Rome. So as Imogen wandered alone, she met Lucius, the Roman general, and took service with him as his page. When the battle was fought between the Romans and Britain, Valerius and his two sons fought for their own country, and Leonidas, disguised as a British peasant, fought beside them. The Romans had taken Cymbeline prisoner, and old Belarius with his sons and Leonidas bravely rescued the king. Then the Britons won the battle, and among the prisoners brought before the king were Lucius with Imogen, Lecimo, Leonidas, who had put on the uniform of a Roman soldier. He was tired of his life since he had cruelly ordered his wife to be killed, and he had hoped that, as a Roman soldier, he would be put to death. When they were brought before the king, Lucius spoke out, A Roman with a Roman's heart can suffer, he said. If I must die, so be it. This one thing only will I entreat. My boy, a Briton born, let him be ransomed. Never master had a page so kind, so duteous, so diligent, true. He has done no Briton harm, though he has served a Roman. Save him, sir. Then Cymbeline looked on the page, who was his own daughter, Imogen, in disguise, and though he did not recognize her, he felt such a kindness that he not only spared the boy's life, but he said, He shall have any boon he likes to ask of me, 
even though he ask a prisoner, the noblest taken. Then Imogen said, The boon I ask is that this gentleman shall say from whom he got the ring he has on his finger. And she pointed to Luchimo. Speak, said Cymbeline. How did you get that diamond? Then Luchimo told the whole truth of his villainy. At this, Leonidas was unable to contain himself, and casting aside all thought of disguise, he came forward, cursing himself for his folly in having believed Luchimo's lying story, and calling again and again on his wife, whom he believed dead. Oh, Imogen, my love, my life, he cried. Oh, Imogen. Then Imogen, forgetting she was disguised, cried out, Peace, my lord, here, here. Leonidas turned to strike the forward page who thus interfered in his great trouble, and then he saw that it was his wife, Imogen, and they fell into each other's arms. The king was so glad to see his dear daughter again, and so grateful to the man who had rescued him whom he now found to be Leonidas, that he gave him his blessing on their marriage, and then he turned to Belarius and the two boys. Now Belarius spoke, I am your old servant, Belarius. You accused me of treason when I had only been loyal to you and to be doubted, made me disloyal. So I stole your sons, and see, they are here. And he brought forward the two boys, who had sworn to be brothers to Imogen when they thought she was a boy like themselves. The wicked queen was dead, of some of her own poisons, and the king, with his three children about him, lived to be a happy old age. So the wicked were punished, and the good and true lived happy ever after. So may the wicked suffer, and honest folk prosper till the world's end.